What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Linder. I'm live streaming on YouTube, Telegram, and Twitter. So if you're not following me on one of those platforms, do so do so immediately. Uh, today, we are going to go over my weekly newsletter. I write this every Monday. If you're not subscribed, go to BitcoinandMarkets.com and sign up. It's the free tier over there. There's also other ways to support the show. Appreciate everybody that supports. Okay, so the newsletter is broken down. I'm constantly trying to streamline it because uh, this week is another week where I just, you know, I have <laughs> I have so much to say. I should just really just put headlines and then I'll talk about it on the live stream or something. But um, it got out of hand this morning <laughs> with the writing. So we're going to go over all this, these Bitcoin headlines, macro headlines, price, mining, lightning, try to talk about all that stuff. Uh, also, of course, take a look at the charts. And that's it. We might have one more story if we have time, but I don't want to overload the podcast here today. So, okay, let's jump into a quick chart review. Here is the daily chart. I have shared this over onto Telegram. This is a second green daily candle. It looks okay. I mean, it looks very similar to back here when we had our last low in mid-February. And we're having a similar low here in the first week of March. It is underneath some resistance and the 50 day is kind of curving back over. Um, we don't want to see the 50 day actually change its slope negative. I think that would be a, a bad sign. And we are kind of at a do or die level here. If we don't turn around and head back higher, if we break this red line that I have on the chart here, I think we could see the 200 day moving average, which would be pushing down there on 20,000. And that would be putting a lot of the momentum. I mean, it would definitely change the market structure and it would put this momentum that we have in question, especially when we take a look at stocks. And I did share this as well into Telegram. It's coming back a little bit on the day, but it is still green. Gapped higher over, you know, over the weekend, it gapped higher and it is still looking green. So it's it's very strong. It has set this new higher low off the 200 day moving average on the S&P 500. And, you know, if this is really having a big bounce and this continues higher, but Bitcoin isn't moving, you know, that brings into question, is Bitcoin the signal here or are, is stocks the signal? So will Bitcoin catch back up to this big bounce in stocks? Or is this kind of a fake out in stocks and it's, you know, going to come back down to is its recent lows like Bitcoin is doing. Um, for the last several months, I've been saying that Bitcoin is the signal here and we should pay attention to what Bitcoin is doing more than stocks. And look at stocks as kind of like a confirmation of what Bitcoin is doing. We'll see. I, I might have to readjust what I'm seeing in the market, at least for price near term. But the more I dive into some of these macro things, which we'll go over here in a second, the more I dive into these macro things, the more convinced I am that there is not going to be some horrible recession in 2023. Take that for what it's worth. If you guys are new to the show and you're finding this for the first time, um, I don't, I don't want to go through my whole thesis here. 
so just tune in and, and over the days as I'm going through this or, you know, go back on some of my recent streams and everything, you can see that I am definitely not a perma bear like we see out there with most people calling for massive, massive recession that uh, even some of the guys that I follow fairly closely that I respect the most in macro and in this financial analysis game, they are calling for massive sell-offs in the market like Jeff Schneider. He's, he's the big one that comes to mind that I am fundamentally aligned with him on the ideas of the current monetary system, but I'm exactly opposing him on his, what he's thinking is the outcomes coming up. So I do think that 2023 is going to be a green year for stocks and bonds and Bitcoin where 2022 was the worst year on record combined for those things. Let's go into the newsletter. Take you guys into the back end here. If you're watching on YouTube or Twitter. So this will be issue number 232. Man alive. I've been doing this a long time. Up front, I have this like little table here that shows some, uh, just a snapshot of Bitcoin from what I consider like a weekly trend and sentiment and uh, then the price section, what's going on with mining and lightning network. And so that gives you an idea of the sections on this report. So we have a bunch of stuff that I did last week. Headlines. Okay, so these are the Bitcoin headlines that I have written up. And of course, the biggest one is Silvergate. It looks like Silvergate is in big, big trouble. They have delayed now. There are some SEC filings that they have, mandatory SEC filings. They were already had requested a delay and now they're requesting further delays on their reporting. Uh, their stock price has dropped over 50%. That was a Thursday sell-off was 57%. Uh, so it could have dropped much more since then. I haven't checked it. But also then towards the end of last week, a bunch of industry players started severing ties with the bank. Coinbase and Tether being the big two that I saw. Paxos as well. The embattered Paxos with Binance coin. I, I mean, I don't blame these banks. If you have like crypto in your name or blockchain, there is no business there. The, the business is a scam. But if you are like a legitimate business where it's hard to say what's a legitimate business because Coinbase, they're a bunch of scammers. You know, they make money off selling scams and unregistered securities. So again, there, it makes sense. Those banks wouldn't necessarily want to Bank a company that's making money, their business model is selling unregistered securities. I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, Tether would be a good, a good example here. Tether has had a lot of FUD over the years. None of it has ever stuck. They're hardcore Bitcoiners. I think they are, have never proven to be scammers. Even in the Bitfinex hack, they have never pr proven to be scammers. So I, I tended to give them the benefit of the doubt, and that has worked out very well. I think Tether is, they're probably over collateralized. So that's a, that's a good business that is very low risk. Why wouldn't banks want to bank them? Of course, then they have the jurisdictional thing here where these government agencies like the New York Department of Financial Services, they were going after and suing Tether. So that could have stopped people from banking players like Tether as well. And that's apart from 
the actual profitability or the legitimacy of the business model. It was the legality of the business model or the threat of government action. But anyway, so Silvergate popped up and they, they were banking all these people. And now they're, they got wrapped up. I, they were so stupid. They should have just offered basic banking services, but not enabled all of the scams, you know, not enabled these hundred X leverage bets or enabled this DeFi absolute garbage. And since the Silvergate got wrapped up in this stuff that was obviously a Ponzi scheme, it makes me question their ability to actually run a business at all. They're idiots. They just see, oh, blockchain, blockchain's supposed to be good. <laughs> DeFi, oh, that's the future. And they get wrapped up in this and now they're insolvent. And it is just... Lord have mercy on us, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing that this doesn't change anything with Bitcoin fundamentally at all. If anything, this is a positive. So one thing I say about uncertainty in the space is when there's high uncertainty, that affects price negatively. That should. Obviously, when this news broke that they had to delay their filings, that affected the price of their stock. It affected the price of Bitcoin. It affected the price of Ethereum and other things because it added uncertainty. But as this gets completed, as this moves on and, and some of that uncertainty is taken away from the market, either through legitimate filings or you know whatever, there's some sort of conclusion to this that will take uncertainty away from the market and that should be positive for price. At the same time, it does reinforce that everything in the space except for Bitcoin is a scam. <laughs> anyway, that was the major news this week. I saw another article that was interesting, and the headline here is, in Japan, 83% of crypto traders, Bitcoin traders, say they'll hodl onto their coins. The poll was carried out in January of this year by Tokyo-based media company Zero Acel, Acel who contract, uh, contacted 330 Bitcoin owners across 47 different Japanese prefectures. In the press release, Zero SL noted that 82.7% of all Bitcoin owners indicated they plan to continue holding their tokens in the future. Nearly 7 of 10 respondents named Bitcoin as their preferred coin. And that's a great data point that I'm glad that they included. Near 70% of respondents said they were Bitcoin only. I mean, they didn't say Bitcoin only, but Bitcoin was their preferred asset to own in this, this space, 70%. And that is matches, or at least it is very close to what we hear from the big banks. You know, the big banks say that most of their interest is for Bitcoin. Probably uh, there was a percentage in in one press release, but I can't remember what it was. Now, I want to say it was 90%. 90% of the inquiries from clients to say JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs, I can't remember which bank it was. Uh, they were interested in Bitcoin, not in Ethereum, not in these other things. Of course, the next runner up is always Ethereum, but it has less demand by a lot. Okay, by a lot. Anyway, so nearly seven out of 10 respondents named Bitcoin as their preferred coin. The company stated that, quote, those who invest in crypto, those who invest in Bitcoin not only want to generate money, but also emphasize, oh my God, generate money, 
let me start that all over again. The company stated that those who invest in Bitcoin not only want to generate money, but also empathize with Bitcoin projects, ideas, and beliefs. And that is one of the reasons Japanese Bitcoin holders look inclined to hodl. So very interesting poll there. Um, legalizing crypto will undermine Russian financial system, warns central bank. And I've been talking a little bit, or at least including links recently about Russia and their mining industry. It looks like they are poised to just open the floodgates to mining. You know, little by little, they're starting to allow, like, um, obviously there's there's Bitcoin mining in Russia already, but they're expanding it in even state-backed ventures. And another story I have down in the mining section is about a new fund that's raising money in Russia that is going to, you know, invest in Bitcoin mining. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there, Bitcoin mining-wise, but th this was an interesting article saying that using Bitcoin could undermine Russian financial system. According to the media outlet Informer, Izaveta Danilova, man, I'm bad with names. The bank's director of financial stability said that allowing crypto into Russia, the Russian financial system would bring about fundamental risks. However, the Ministry of Finance wants to legalize Bitcoin and regulate the use of tokens in the country. Bitcoin currently has no legal status in the nation and trading tokens is neither illegal nor regulated. But Danilova warned the legalization could, quote, harm the well-being of citizens, she said, that it could also compromise the stability of the financial system and pave the way for an influx of illegal activities. I mean, this is just one lady, right? This is, I mean, yeah, she's the director of financial stability, but the whole Ministry of Finance as a whole wants to legalize Bitcoin. Um, so anyway, what, one more quick quote here. However, Danilova suggested that central bank, the central bank was not opposed to allowing the use of Bitcoin in international settlements. The bank could yet approve the legalization of Bitcoin mining. I mean, they're already mining in Russia, so whatever. Okay, next story up is Mt. Gox repayments to begin on the 10th. The article here, to quote from this article that I linked, the sum that will be shared with beneficiaries include a total of 142,000 Bitcoins, or $3.3 billion today. 143,000 Bitcoin cash, or Bcash, that's only $19 million. So there's more Bcash that they're paying out. But they're paying 3.3 billion in Bitcoin and only 19 million in Bcash. That's amazing. And 69 billion yen or about $500 million. These figures are in consonance with an earlier release balance sheet back in 2021. So I say many are expecting this to mean a large amount of selling pressure. But guys, these are OGs. Okay, these are early Bitcoin adopters. Most likely, I would say that the overwhelming thing that's going to happen to these coins is they're going to enter cold storage. I mean, they'll sell the Bcash. <laughs> they'll sell the Bcash. They might even use the yen to buy Bitcoin. So there's 500 million in yen. I mean, they could be using that $500 million in yen to purchase more Bitcoin. So we don't know what the selling pressure will be, but if we know the kind of demographics of the people that are 
going to be the beneficiaries of these coins, we can say that most of them most likely will go into cold storage. Also, I mean, the beleaguered state of the industry right now, this could mean that a lot of these people were OGs. They might have Bitcoin companies. Maybe they're going to use this Bitcoin to expand their business or to rescue their business or to hire some new people or to be collateral for a new loan, something like that. So this could be a big boon for funding in the space. We don't know. And I think that it is more likely than not to act as a stimulant rather than consistent selling pressure. Also, these are going to be distributed over about a six month period. So it's not like it's gonna come all at once. It's gonna slowly filter its way in. And if we are in a bull market with the halving coming up in about a year's time, this is just going to add fuel to the fire, I think. All right, so that's the Mt. Gox stuff. Ordinals update. I have a bunch of charts, but I'm not going to go over them here on the live stream. You guys can go into the newsletter this week and check those out. Okay, macro headlines. We talked about this a lot on Telegram, and I don't think I mentioned this Lavrov thing last week on the live streams, but this video was interesting with Lavrov. and. He was asked in the interview, I guess he was on stage in India. He was asked, how can you have a good relationship with India and China if there's a conflict on the border of India and China? And he's basically said that, hey, we we have a better relationship with India on paper too. Like say it's a, an especially privileged, especially privileged strategic partnership. And that there's no other country that has that official description. Uh, he also said, this was very interesting to me, that Russia and China relations, on the other hand, quote, have never been that good since the beginning of China as a country. So this just confirms some of my thoughts on the alliance between Russia and China. And, you know, people like Zoltan Poznar are people who think that there's going to be some great new coalition of Russia and China and India or whatever versus the world, that's not going to happen. Okay, China and India, or sorry, uh, China and Russia are perennial rivals. And China and India are rivals because they have a skirmish of active conflict on their border. Yeah, I thought this was a very good, uh, interesting comment here by Lavrov. What else do I have? A billionaire can't get his money out of China. We talked about that last week and on Telegram. Arthur Hayes' analysis of the energy market. Talked about that on Friday's live stream. Zelensky says U.S. and NATO blood must be shed. Okay, well, I just included that thing. I've been told that I'm taking this out of context, but no matter what, he said it. And it will be taken out of context. And the just the ability to say something like that proves, I think, like some sort of moral bankruptcy of the entire uh, campaign, you know, of the entire project over there that is Ukraine. But okay, and last thing I have is the Vanguard CEO abandons ESG investing. This is a quote from him. We don't believe that we should dictate company strategy, he said in his first public comments about the decision. It would be hubris to presume that we know the right strategy for the thousands of companies that Vanguard invested. We just want to make sure that risks are being appropriately disclosed 
and that every company is playing by the rules. So, you know, Vanguard is at the center of this conspiracy theory about, or um, we're not supposed to call them conspiracy theories. We're sp- what are we supposed to call them now? Advanced warning or something. I can't remember what that meme was the other day, but so the conspiracy theories that Vanguard and BlackRock and all these big investment houses, they run the world because they own everything. But here we have what the, the CEO of Vanguard and he is saying, look, we don't think we should dictate company strategy just because we own their stock. Just because we invest in these companies doesn't mean that we should dictate their company strategy. And he's talking about ESG. This is huge. I mean, this, this I think, kind of explodes this whole uh, conspiracy theory around Vanguard and BlackRock and stuff. But I don't know. There could be something to that. That's all that price. Just have a daily chart and a stock market chart, which we already covered just a minute ago. Mining. Okay, here's Russia unveils mutual fund for financing Bitcoin mining operations. A Russian company has unveiled a new fund intended to finance Bitcoin mining operations in the country. The new mutual investment fund will be available to qualified investors who can invest a minimum of 300,000 rubles or approximately $4,000. And the money will be used to acquire Bitcoin mining equipment and pay for electricity and other operating costs. Russian business outlet Comersant has reported They want to raise a total of 500 million rubles or about $6.6 million. So this is still a very fledgling project. So it's just getting started. But like I said, there is this air that things are really shifting. At least, you know, these countries aren't squashing Bitcoin mining. Like if you would have asked us back in 2014, 2015, everybody thought that they were coming for Bitcoin. And that they were going to come for Bitcoin mining. And that's one reason why XYZ, I don't know, we, we talked all about this. It hasn't really happened. You know, they've, they have applied existing regulation to on-ramps and off-ramps. But most places are open to Bitcoin mining. Most places. I mean, like New York State and some others, they are clamping down. But as a rule across the world... I mean, China, okay, you can say China. That was a pretty big deal. But other than China, (laughs) I don't know how to put that because, yeah, China was a very big deal. But the U.S. hasn't, Russia hasn't, most of Europe, I mean, they have upcoming regulation, but for the most part, I mean, there's still Bitcoin mining happening in Europe. They haven't really come for Bitcoin all that hard yet. I mean, I'm a a non-anonymous person in the Bitcoin space for a long time. And no one has ever contacted me. You know, I've never been audited. I guess knock on wood. I shouldn't say that. But, um, you know, this it's not like they have come after people hardcore on this. But anyway, maybe it's because I never really move my coins. And so there's no, there's no breadcrumbs to follow back to me and stuff. I never scam people either. Uh, but we should expect them to come after scammers. I mean, we should expect them to come after, or we expected them to come after everybody, not just scammers. But nowadays, they haven't come after everybody. They have just started to, at least in the worst offenses, come after, gone after scammers. And that should be expected. 
that, that was an interesting article. All right, hash rate is exploding higher. I don't know if you can see this. I'm going to, uh, I can't make that bigger. I'm going to share this though with Telegram real quick. So hash rates exploding higher. Difficulty rose by 10% on the last adjustment and it's now estimated to will be adjusted higher by 3% on the next difficulty adjustment in just a few days time. Bitcoin mining is thriving big time right now. And so anyway, in in the newsletter, I wanted to take a few lines and I do this every few months, maybe every quarter. I'll take just a few lines in the newsletter to kind of describe how I view or I interpret these types of numbers because I mean, I'm not a miner. I'm an economist. So I have a little bit different view on this. Um, I have talked to quite a few miners over the years and they have very good insights on, on the market in general. I think miners have this like insight into the opaque side of the market. And I write about it here on the newsletter. I say they have an insight into the OTC side of the house. So not exchanges, you know, where we can see the spot price of Bitcoin, but what are the OTC markets like? Dark shadow sales going on with Bitcoin. What are they like? Um, what's the demand? What's the supply in that market? Energy markets, like they're very closely linked with what's going on with energy and what are energy markets closely linked with? Just economic activity in general, right? Um, investor appetite for both public and private Bitcoin related companies. So the public Bitcoin miners now, as well as private Bitcoin miners and how e are people contacting them to invest money in them? Or are they having to go out and source money? How hard is that to get funding? So they have a really, you know, obviously extremely detailed data about this, this part of the market. Uh, also, the complex regulatory environment. They probably talk to regulators more uh, than the, the average Bitcoin company. And also knowing like geographically where, which places are being more friendly which places are kind of getting more friendlier versus places that are maybe tightening down on the Bitcoin industry. So they have a real detailed knowledge of that. And also energy producer sentiments I put on here because uh, the energy actual power plants want to, a lot of them are wanting to put Bitcoin mining on the property there. They want to be having their own Bitcoin mining. So there's all sorts of stuff going on with the energy producers and what they think of the industry, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, miners have a very broad understanding of this opaque side, specialized side of the market for Bitcoin. Now, if this mix of inputs, so this mix of the, this opaque market, if that's healthy, hash rate should be going up. If there is a lot of demand, if there is um, easy access to funding and all these stuff, then Bitcoin mining should be going up. And that tells us something about the sentiment of this broad opaque side of the market about the price. And to me, it says that the hash rate and difficulty going up confirms what's going on with the price. So if the price is, you know, or it says that, well, let me put this another way. So if hash rate is going up, trying to put this in, in a concise manner here. What do I write here? If the current price is seen as underpriced, it will attract investment and hash rate into the network as we are seeing now. However, if Bitcoin is seen as overpriced, hash rate being a result of this complex mix of inputs 
would likely remain stagnant or fall. So that's how I use these things in the mining section to look at the industry. All right. Um, and last thing I have for today is a map of the Lightning Network. These are nodes on the Lightning Network. And what I want to point out is the utter lack of Lightning nodes in places like Africa, India, even Japan, anywhere really other than the U.S., and probably Canada in there, I would say. I can't, you know, you can't really tell the border between the U.S. and Canada too well on this map. But the U.S. and Europe, that's the Lightning Network. That's probably 95% of the Lightning Network. This is just something to keep in mind when you hear people telling you about, oh, you know, Lightning Network is going to change remittances. Lightning Network is going to change Africa. Lightning Network is going to do this or that. I mean, yes, but that's far in the future. That's very far in the future. I mean, I have so much to say about this map. If you are a Bitcoiner and you think Bitcoin is the future and you look at this map and you see Africa with like six dots, six nodes, six lightning nodes out of 74,000 guys. Quick correction, that's 15,000 nodes, 74,000 channels. Nigeria just got its first lightning node. And uh, this does exclude Tor. So there are people that could be running Tor. But, <laughs> I mean, just open nodes like this. And you think that Bitcoin is the future, yet there are six nodes in Africa. What does that tell you about the future of Africa? I don't know. I'll let you guys ponder that one. That is the newsletter for this week. I'll be sending that out here in a few minutes. That's going to do it, actually. I'm going to stay on for just a couple minutes on Telegram. So if you guys want to check out the Telegram, do it at t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Join me pretty much every weekday for some sort of live stream, either uh, here on YouTube and Twitter and Telegram like I'm doing right now, or with Bitcoin Magazine. I do FedWatch on Thursdays at 1230 Eastern. Uh, check out BitcoinandMarkets.com you know, to sign up for the free tier or to support my work and keep me, keep me going on this. Um, all right, that's going to do it, guys. Thanks for joining. See you next time. Bye.